Referring to someone as a magid may not be a common way of addressing anybody in our contemporary society, but magid was the term used for hundreds of years to refer to a speaker, somebody who would inspire crowds through great motivational lessons, through drushas that would be weaving together Torah, Talmudic sources, and messages of incredible, penetrating personal growth. Often in the European experience, the Magid would travel town to town to share messages with different communities. When saying the term the Magid of Yerushalayim, the Magid of Jerusalem, almost anybody using that title in that manner would be referring to one particular Magid, one particular extraordinary Magid, Rav Shalom Shvadran, Rav Shalom Mordechai HaKoyin Shvadran, who lived the uh, most of the 20th century, lived from the early part of the 20th century till the late 1990s. I personally had the incredible fortune to once have an opportunity to be in his presence and hear him live, listen to many of his lectures on tape, uh, for those who recall what tapes are. But I had the opportunity to hear this incredible magid, and I'm almost filled with emotion even thinking about the incredible oratory capacity the incredible genius, the incredible breadth of knowledge they had that all came together to create incredibly meaningful, penetrating, elevating experiences. Well, this famed Magad of Yushalayim of Sholon Shadran was once faced with the following interesting dilemma. A group of students from a local yeshiva had approached him. Each yeshiva would typically have, aside from the Rosh Yeshiva, whose job it was to oversee the academic growth of the students, there would often be a mashgiach, same word as we use when referring to the supervision for kosher purposes of a mashgiach, an overseer or a supervisor, but here more the supervisor of character development and the supervisor of personal growth of the students. And the mashgiach of this particular yeshiva was going to be missing for a long period of time. He had traveled overseas and it was going to be quite a while until he was going to be returning. The students asked Rav Shvadran if he would come and occasionally act as a kind of uh, substitute mashgiach and, and share his insights with the students and help motivate, help elevate the students in that yeshiva. Well, Rav Shvadran thought about it. On the one hand, here were some growth-focused students looking for that inspiration, and in so doing, he would be helping enhance their future. At the same time, if he would not be doing that, in, in the vacuum of the missing Rosh Hashiva, uh, that void could allow to somewhat of a settling down, like uh, kind of losing some of the momentum, not, not only not growing the way they should be growing, but unfortunately could actually lead to some level of a, a drop in terms of their development. And he recognized that this was a great opportunity to fill that void and provide them the inspiration. At the same time, he was concerned that maybe he was kind of doing a disfavor to the yeshiva's mashgiach, to that supervisor of the students who was now missing but would be returning, and upon his return would be facing a kind of an agmas nefesh, an angst, as to the fact that now I'm replacing this incredible Roshon Shvadron, the Magad of Yishalayim, this masterful orator, this incredible genius 
in both his mastery of the information and mastery of understanding of character and his capacity to evaluate what's the best message for the students. Here, while I've been gone, the students have tasted this wondrous taste of Rosh Hashanah and now that I'm returning, they're not going to appreciate me so much. So he was concerned how to measure this, how to balance this equation between what I could be providing for the students and in not providing that the potential loss to the students relative to this potential anguish causing to the mashkiach of the yeshiva. Rav Shalom brought this question to one of his own mentors, the famed Rav Chatzko Levenstein, Rav Chatzko Levenstein, who had traveled with Amir Yeshiva through Shanghai and eventually into Yerushalayim, and then actually moving to the city of Bnei Brak, where he was the mashkiach of the famed Panavish Yeshiva, he brought this question to this mentor of his, Rav Chatzka Levenstein. Rav Chatzka heard the question and responded with an almost shocking way of gauging what to do in this circumstance. Rav Chatzka said, Kabbalah, we have a Kabbalah, we have a Masora, we have a tradition, we have a tradition in our hands that were we to have the opportunity to build the base Hamikdash, to build the Holy Temple in Yerushalayim, where we have the opportunity to build that building that we daven for three times a day, to build that building that we pray for every time we say the full Birkat HaMazon, the full benching, we ask God for the rebuilding of that building. To rebuild that building whose loss we mourn to some degree all year in an intense manner on Tisha B'Av. To build that building without which our service to God is currently never 100% fulfilled. There's always a degree missing in terms of our service, in terms of our achieving atonement, where we have the opportunity to build that building, to build that base of Mikdash at the expense of another person's feelings. We would forgo the project. We would not build the base of Mikdash, said Rechatzka Levenstein, based on the tradition that he'd received going back generation after generation to generation. We have a tradition that is critical as the construction of the Beis HaMikdash is. It can't come at the expense of a fellow Jew. Rav Shadran heard the message. And as important as building these students would be, it can't come at the expense of that other mashkiach. And as such, he bowed out of that opportunity. A stunning message, a shocking application, but the take-home for us, the tachlis message, what we can do with this, in recognizing how valuable the sensitivities of another person, how cautious we have to be regarding the potential anguish, the degree of frustration caused to another person, how much has to be forfeited to avoid an act of insensitivity. If we can drive that message home to ourselves and pick some opportunity, some opportunity soon, some opportunity that we can focus on right now, where I will be cautious to try to avoid an insensitivity that I might have otherwise justified in my mind. But 
wait a minute. It can't be more important than the development, the character development of a large group of students. It certainly can't be more important than the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. So let me reevaluate and avoid being insensitive at all costs. And maybe to flip it around to the positive, sometimes that's a little bit easier for us. Let's, right now, look at our calendars and plan that when we have some upcoming social get-together, some setting where we'll be, and we know there'll be a bunch of people that are having a great, great time, and somebody in that room will not be having such a great time. There's somebody in that room that's dealing with a problem at home, at work, something going on in their life that isn't quite up to par. Or there's somebody that just doesn't ever kind of connect with the life of the party, often ends up a little bit on the sidelines. Let's right now make a plan that I'm going to make a beeline for that person. And would you be my friend? Okay, maybe a little more subtle than that. But I'll find an opportunity to strike up a conversation, to connect. Let that person be a little bit less lonely for a little bit of time. Let's find those opportunities to be a little bit more sensitive. And let's be cautious to avoid being insensitive. And as always, let's achieve our tachlis. And have 